Chapter Eleven of Izzy Popenjoy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bob Srigley, Charlottesville, Virginia, USA. Izzy Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Eleven. Lord and Lady George go up to town. Time went on, and the day arranged for the migration to London came round. After much delicate fencing on one side and the other, this was fixed for the 31st January. The fencing took place between the dean, acting on behalf of his daughter, and the ladies of the Manor Cross family generally. They, though they conceived themselves to have had many causes of displeasure with Mary, were not the less anxious to keep her at Manor Cross. They would all, at any moment, have gladly assented to an abandonment of the London house, and had taught themselves to look upon the London house as an allurement of Satan, most unwisely contrived and countenanced by the dean. And there was no doubt that, as the dean acted on behalf of his daughter, so did they act on behalf of their brother. He could not himself oppose the London house, but he disliked it and feared it, and now at last thoroughly repented himself of it. But it had been a stipulation made at the marriage, and the dean's money had been spent. The dean had been profuse with his money, and had shown himself to be a more wealthy man than any one at Manor Cross had suspected. Mary's fortune was no doubt her own, but the furniture had been in a great measure supplied by the dean, and the dean had paid the necessary premium on going into the house. Lord George felt it to be impossible to change his mind after all that had been done, but he had been quite willing to postpone the evil day as long as possible. Lady Susanna was especially full of fears, and, it must be owned, especially inimical to all Mary's wishes. She was the one who had perhaps been most domineering to her brother's wife, and she was certainly the one whose domination Mary resisted with the most settled determination. There was a self-abnegation about Lady Sarah, a downright goodness, and at the same time an easily handled magisterial authority, which commanded reverence. After three months of residence at Manor Cross, Mary was willing to acknowledge that Lady Sarah was more than a sister-in-law, that her nature partook of divine omnipotence, and that it compelled respect, whether given willingly or unwillingly. But to none of the others would her spirit thus humble itself, and especially not to Lady Susanna. Therefore Lady Susanna was hostile, and therefore Lady Susanna was quite sure that Mary would fall into great trouble amidst the pleasures of the metropolis. After all, she said to her elder sister, what is fifteen hundred pound a year to keep up a house in London? It will only be for a few months, said Lady Sarah. Of course she must have a carriage, and then George will find himself altogether in the hands of the dean. That is what I fear. The dean has done very well with himself, but he is not a man whom I like to trust altogether. He is at any rate generous with his money. He is bound to be that, or he could not hold up his head at all. He has nothing else to depend on. Did you hear what Dr. Poutner said about him the other day? Since that affair with the newspaper, 
he has gone down very much in the chapter i am sure of that i think you are a little hard upon him susanna you must feel that he is very wrong about this house in london why is a man because he's married to be taken away from all his own pursuits if she could not accommodate herself to his taste she should not have accepted him let us be just said lady sarah certainly let us be just said lady amelia who in these conversations seldom took much part unless when called upon to support her eldest sister of course we should be just said lady susanna she did not accept him said lady sarah till he had agreed to comply with the dean's wish that they should spend part of their time in london he was very weak said lady susanna i wish it could have been otherwise continued lady sarah but we can hardly suppose that the taste of a young girl from brotherton should be the same as ours i can understand that mary should find manor cross dull dull exclaimed lady susanna dull ejaculated lady amelia constrained on this occasion to differ even from her eldest sister i can't understand that she would find manor cross dull particularly while she has her husband with her the bargain at any rate was made said lady sarah before the engagement was settled and as the money is hers i do not think we have a right to complain i am very sorry that it should be so her character is very far from being formed and his tastes are so completely fixed that nothing will change them and then there's that mrs hooton said lady susanna mrs hooton had of course left manor cross long since but she had left a most unsatisfactory feeling behind her in the minds of all the manor cross ladies this arose not only from their personal dislike but from a suspicion a most agonizing suspicion that their brother was more fond than he should have been of the lady's society it must be understood that mary herself knew nothing of this and was altogether free from such suspicion but the three sisters and the marchioness under their tuition had decided that it would be very much better that lord george should see no more of mrs hooton he was not they thought infatuated in such a fashion that he would run to london after her but when in london he would certainly be thrown into her society i cannot bear to think of it continued lady susanna lady amelia shook her head i think sarah you ought to speak to him seriously no man has higher ideas of duty than he has and if he be made to think of it he will avoid her i have spoken replied lady sarah almost in a whisper well well was he angry how did he bear it he was not angry but he did not bear it very well he told me that he certainly found her to be attractive but that he thought he had power enough to keep himself free from any such fault as that. I asked him to promise me not to see her, but he declined to make a promise which he said he might not be able to keep. She is a horrid woman, and Mary, I am afraid, likes her, said Lady Susanna. I know that evil will come of it. Sundry scenes counter to this were enacted at the deanery mary was in the habit of getting herself taken over to brotherton more frequently than the ladies liked but it was impossible that they should openly oppose her visits to her father on one occasion early in january she had got her husband to ride over with her 
and was closeted with the dean while he was away in the city. Papa, she said, I almost think that I'll give up the house in Munster Court. Give it up? Look here, Mary. You'll have no happiness in life unless you can make up your mind not to allow those old ladies at Manor Cross to sit upon you. It is not for their sake. He does not like it, and I would do anything for him. That is all very well, and I would be the last to advise you to oppose his wishes if I did not see that the effect would be to make him subject to his sister's dominion as well as you. Would you like him to be always under their thumb? No, papa, I shouldn't like that. It was because I foresaw all this that I stipulated so expressly, as I did, that you should have a house of your own. Every woman, when she marries, should be emancipated from other domestic control than that of her husband. From the nature of Lord George's family, this would have been impossible at Manor Cross, and therefore I insisted on a house in town. I could do this in the more freely, because the wherewithal was to come from us, and not from them. Do not disturb what I have done. I will not go against you, of course, papa. And remember always that this is to be done as much for his sake as for yours. His position has been very peculiar. He has no property of his own, and he has lived there with his mother and sisters till the feminine influences of the house have almost domineered him. It is your duty to assist in freeing him from this. Looking at the matter in the light now presented to her, Mary began to think that her father was right. With a husband there should, at any rate, be only one feminine influence, he added, laughing. I shall not overrule him, and I shall not try, said Mary, smiling. At any rate, do not let other women rule him. By degrees he will learn to enjoy London society, and so will you. You will spend half the year at Manor Cross or the deanery, and by degrees both he and you will be emancipated. For myself, I can conceive nothing more melancholy than would be his slavery and yours if you were to live throughout the year with those old women. Then, too, he said something to her of the satisfaction which she herself would receive from living in London, and told her that, for her, life itself had hardly as yet been commenced. She received her lessons with thankfulness and gratitude, but with something of wonder that he should so openly recommend to her a manner of life which she had hitherto been taught to regard as worldly. After that, no further hint was given to her that the house in London might yet be abandoned. When riding back with her husband, she had been clever enough to speak of the thing as a fixed certainty, and he had then known that he also must regard it as fixed. "'You had better not say anything more about it,' he said one day, almost angrily, to Lady Susanna, and then nothing more had been said about it to him. There were other causes of confusion, of terrible confusion, at Manor Cross, of confusion so great that from day to day the Marchioness would declare herself unable to go through the troubles before her. The workmen were already in the big house preparing for the demolition and reconstruction of everything as soon as she should be gone, and other workmen were already demolishing and reconstructing Cross Hall. The sadness of all this and the weight on the old lady's mind were increased by the fact that no member of the family had received so much even as a message from the Marquis himself, since it had been decided that his wishes should not be obeyed. 
Over and over again the dowager attempted to give way, and suggested that they should all depart and be out of sight. It seemed to her that when a marquis is a marquis he ought to have his own way, though it be never so unreasonable. Was he not the head of the family? But Lady Sarah was resolved, and carried her point. Were they all to be pitched down in some strange corner, where they could be no better than other women, incapable of doing good, or exercising influence, by the wish of one man who had never done any good anywhere, or used his own influence legitimately? Lady Sarah was no coward, and Lady Sarah stuck to Cross Hall, though in doing so she had very much to endure. "'I won't go out, my lady,' said Price. "'Not till the day when her ladyship is ready to come in. "'I can put up with things, "'and I'll see as all is done as your ladyship wishes.' Price, though he was a sporting farmer, and though men were in the habit of drinking cherry brandy at his house, and though naughty things had been said about him, had in these days become Lady Sarah's prime minister at Cross Hall, and was quite prepared in that capacity to carry on war against the Marquis. When the day came for the departure of Mary and her husband, a melancholy feeling pervaded the whole household. A cook had been sent up from Brotherton, who had lived at Manor Cross many years previously. Lord George took a man, who had waited on himself lately at the old house, and Mary had her own maid, who had come with her when she married. They had therefore been forced to look for but one strange servant. But this made the feeling the stronger that they should all be strange up in London. This was so strong with Lord George that it almost amounted to fear. He knew that he did not know how to live in London. He belonged to the Carlton, as became a conservative nobleman, but he very rarely entered it, and never felt himself at home when he was there. And Mary, though she had been quite resolved since the conversation with her father that she would be firm about her house, still was not without her own dread. She herself had no personal friends in town, not one but Mrs. Houghton, as to whom she heard nothing but evil words from the ladies around her. There had been an attempt made to get one of the sisters to go up with them for the first month. Lady Sarah had positively refused, almost with indignation. Was it to be supposed that she would desert her mother at so trying a time? Lady Amelia was then asked, and with many regrets declined the invitation. She had not dared to use her own judgment, and Lady Sarah had not cordially advised her to go. Lady Sarah had thought that Lady Susanna would be the most useful, but Lady Susanna was not asked. There were a few words on the subject between Lord George and his wife. Mary, remembering her father's advice, had determined that she would not be sat upon, and had whispered to her husband that Susanna was always severe to her. When, therefore, the time came, they departed from Manor Cross without any protecting spirit. There was something sad in this, even to Mary. She knew that she was taking her husband away from the life he liked, and that she herself was going to a life as to which she could not even guess whether she would like it or not. But she had the satisfaction of feeling that she was at last going to begin to live as a married woman. Hitherto she had been treated as a child. If there was danger, there was, at any rate, the excitement which danger produces. "'I am almost glad that we are going alone, George,' she said. 
It seems to me that we have never been alone yet. He wished to be gracious and loving to her, and yet he was not disposed to admit anything which might seem to imply that he had become tired of living with his own family. It is very nice, but... But what, dear? Of course I am anxious about my mother just at present. She is not to move for two months yet. No, not to move, but there are so many things to be done. You can run down whenever you please. That's expensive, but of course it must be done. Say that you'll like being with me alone. They had the compartment of the railway carriage all to themselves, and she, as she spoke, leaned against him, inviting him to caress her. You don't think it a trouble, do you, having to come and live with me? Of course he was conquered, and said after his nature what prettiest things he could to her, assuring her that he would sooner live with her than with any one in the world, and promising that he would always endeavor to make her happy. She knew that he was doing his best to be a loving husband, and she felt, therefore, that she was bound to be loyal in her endeavors to love him. But at the same time, at the very moment in which she was receiving his words with outward show of satisfied love, her imagination was picturing to her something else which would have been so immeasurably superior if only it had been possible. That evening they dined together, alone, and it was the first time that they had ever done so, except at an inn. Never before had been imposed on her the duty of seeing that his dinner was prepared for him. There certainly was very little of duty to perform in the matter, for he was a man indifferent as to what he ate or what he drank. The plainness of the table at Manor Cross had surprised Mary, after the comparative luxury of the deanery. All her lessons at Manor Cross had gone to show that eating was not a delectation to be held in high esteem but still she was careful that everything around him should be nice. The furniture was new, the glasses and crockery were new, few, if any, of the articles used had ever been handled before. All her bridal presents were there, and no doubt there was present to her mind the fact that everything in the house had, in truth, been given to him by her. If only she could make the things pleasant, if only he would allow himself to be taught that nice things are nice. She hovered around him, touching him every now and then with her light fingers, moving a lock of his hair, and then stooping over him, and kissing his brow. It might still be that she would be able to galvanize him into that lover's vitality of which she had dreamed. He never rebuffed her. He did not scorn her kisses, or fail to smile when his hair was moved. He answered every word she spoke to him carefully and courteously. He admired her pretty things when called upon to admire them, but through it all she was quite aware that she had not galvanized him as yet. Of course there were books. Every proper preparation had been made for rendering the little house pleasant. In the evening she took from her shelf a delicate little volume of poetry, something exquisitely bound, pretty to look at, and sweet to handle, and settled herself down to be happy in her own drawing-room. But she soon looked up from the troubles of Aurora Leigh to see what her husband was doing. He was comfortable in his chair, but was busy with the columns of the Brothershire Herald. "'Dear me, George, have you brought that musty old paper up here?' "'Why shouldn't I read the Herald here as well as at Manor Cross?' 
Oh, yes, if you like it. Of course I want to know what is being done in the county. But when next she looked, the county had certainly faded from his mind, for he was fast asleep. On that occasion she did not care very much for Aurora Lay. Her mind was hardly tuned to poetry of that sort. The things around her were too important to allow her mind to indulge itself with foreign cares. And then she found herself looking at the watch. At Manor Cross, ten o'clock every night brought all the servants into the drawing-room. First the butler would come and place the chairs, and then the maids, and then the coachman and the footman would follow. Lord George read the prayers, and Mary had always thought them to be very tiring. But she now felt that it would be almost a relief if the butler would come in and place the chairs. End of chapter 11